The Black Swan by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. One sentence summary. The Black Swan explains why we are so bad at predicting the future and how unlikely events dramatically change our lives if they do happen, as well as what you can do to become better at expecting the unexpected. My favorite quote from the author is, Missing a train is only painful if you run after it. Likewise, not matching the idea of success others expect from you is only painful if that's what you are seeking. Nassim Nicholas Taleb The only point of critique I have to make about Nassim Nicholas Taleb is that I wish he'd publish more books faster. The way he thinks is marvelous, and there's so much to learn from him. This book is the second volume of his four-volume body of work on uncertainty, called Incerto. Anti-fragile is the fourth. First of all, this has nothing to do with the, in my opinion, good movie Black Swan. This book is about statistics, probability, and how we often falsely use those to estimate the likelihood of real-life events. One of my friends studied economics in college. He didn't like it. He always said, all of those models don't stand a chance in the real world. They're too narrow. None of this stuff is actually realistic. Yet, we use narrow models to predict reality all the time, which is why we're so bad at it. Here are three lessons from the black swan to help you get better at expecting what others don't. 1. Because black swans are always unexpected, they dramatically change the world of those who are not prepared for them. 2. Never try to explain the future by looking at your past. It's a bad indicator. 3. If you try to gauge real-world risk like you would in a game of cards, you'll likely make bad decisions. Are you prepared to find out what you don't know? We'll see. The Black Swan Lesson 1 Black swans dramatically change the reality of those who aren't aware that they're coming. This answers the question, what is a black swan event in statistics? Nassim Taleb calls an event a black swan if it's unpredictable, not because it's random, but because our outlook on what's possible was too narrow. The name stems from the fact that up until 1697, mankind believed all swans were white. But when Dutch explorers finally saw black swans for the first time in Western Australia, the term morphed into describing an event that occurred in spite of seeming impossible. As a logical consequence, those who are the least aware of a black swan coming will suffer the most from its often already extreme consequences. Imagine you had known about the 9-11 attacks, the 2008 financial crisis or Hurricane Katrina in advance. You wouldn't have been shocked and surprised. In some cases, a black swan is only a tragedy for a single person. For example, if John bets on his favorite horse Onyx at the racing track because he knows that Onyx is in great health, has a solid track record, a skilled jockey and poor competition, John will surely be devastated if he loses all his money because when the race starts, Onyx doesn't move an inch and instead lies down. But what's a black swan for John can be the deal of a lifetime for Tony, the owner of the horse, who's known in advance that Onyx would protest and bet against his own horse. However, often black swans affect entire societies, or even the whole world. Just think of Copernicus's discovery that the sun is the center of the universe, not the earth. Or when Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon. The Black Swan Lesson 2 Don't use your past to explain the future. This answers the question, why are so many of our future predictions wrong? 
One of our biggest erroneous behaviors is our tendency to predict what will happen in the future by using our past as an explanation. Based on the only things we can be certain of, what has happened in our lives in the past, we weave a narrative that makes sense and expect that the future simply must unfold this way. But there are many unknown factors that could change it. For example, imagine you're a turkey and for years you live on a farm, get to roam free every day and are fed great food by a farmer. Why would you expect anything to change? But if tomorrow's Thanksgiving, you're just 24 hours away from getting killed, stuffed and roasted. The very same thing happened to everyone who lost a lot of money during the financial crisis. People believed markets would go up forever because that's all they had done for years. And when they suddenly didn't, people were surprised. The Black Swan Lesson 3 Trying to assess real-world risk like you would in a game can lead you to making the wrong choices. This answers the question, how should we access real-world risk? Another fallacy Taleb describes is called the Ludic Fallacy. This one explains why we do such bad jobs at getting the right insurance policy, for example. When faced with the task to assess risk in the real world, we usually try to imagine the risk like a game where there's a set of rules and probabilities that we can determine up front in order to then make the right decision. However, very often this isn't possible. You can't just add all the probabilities for getting certain diseases or having a particular accident and then say, okay, based on this, I will get insured for X amount. For example, if you observe a coin flip game where the dealer tells you the coin is fair, which means it lands on heads or tails 50% of the time. But for 99 times in a row it comes up heads, would you really believe the odds are still 50-50 on the next toss? Statistically speaking, the odds haven't changed, but any reasonable person would assume that the coin is rigged and bet heads. If unlikely events happen more often than they statistically should, you must question the assumptions of your model. For example, casinos have a lot of security against robberies and throw out suspicious players. But maybe a much bigger risk is that someone kidnaps the owner's daughter to blackmail him, or that an employee forgets to file taxes, leading to a huge criminal investigation. It's hard for us to assess risk accurately in the real world, but oversimplifying it only makes it worse. My personal takeaways from the Black Swan for 2017. I love the ideas in this book. Uh, I gave my dad a copy of another book of Nassim Nicholas Taleb, which was, I think, the first one in his Incerto series called Fooled by Randomness, uh, which is also about probability and, and human biases and how we make bad calls and wrong judgments and so on. Now, he has a writing style that is very stylistic right so he's very eloquent very sophisticated writing but it's also very scientific so it's not always easy to understand however what Nassim Nicholas Taleb does a great job at is at picking examples like some of those I shared were from the book summary on Blinkist and they really made it fairly easy to understand what he's talking about now let's talk about a few black swan events and Usually, Black Swan, um, I don't want to say it refers to a, to a negative event, but in the context of how it's talked about in the news and media and so on, 
people always say 9-11 was a black swan financial crisis was a black swan um some natural disasters fukushima for example was a black swan so usually people talk about events with negative consequences for a lot of people as black swans but again as you saw in the horse riding example um well <laughs> there there you have it it's my first mental fault already yeah it's a black swan because um those who are unex who are unexpected of the black swan are most surprised by it and will suffer the severe consequences. In case of the horse example, the owner of the horse, Tony, he didn't get a black swan event, right? Because for him, it was very logical. Like he knew that his horse was being very uh, bitchy and was making a lot of problems. And there was a very high chance that his horse would just lie down and not even run. So he was expecting this, which is why for him, it wasn't a black swan. Okay, so that makes sense that black swan always or most of the time refers to an event with negative consequences for those who aren't prepared for it. Um, so we talked about Fukushima, uh, Brexit, for example, could you say was a black swan. People didn't really expect the UK to vote in favor of leaving the European Union. That happened. Um, Donald Trump winning the election was a black swan because all the predictions all the statisticians there's a guy named nate silver who got all states right and all but one for both of obama's campaigns in terms of what he predicted as the outcome so he was really uh, he's a very solid dude and even he got it wrong he predicted like a 90 80 percent win for hillary clinton so that was very unexpected by a lot of people um, so these things happen like every year we get a couple of those right some are worse some are have more economic consequences others more political consequences and so on um, but one that is always a possibility is a financial crisis or like a economics crisis right like a global economic crisis whatever form it may take um, that's always a possibility and that is something for example you have to be prepared for you can't really because you don't know when, it, when it's coming. But if you're an investor, if you own stocks and you are worried about your the next crisis hits and you are not mentally prepared to take the losses that will inevitably come with that and see your portfolio go from positive into the negative and you can't ride out the, the waves that come with it, you won't see the long-term rewards of that portfolio. So maybe if you have 50 stocks in your portfolio, there might even be two or three that go to zero, right? The companies may go bankrupt or maybe even 10 or 20% of your entire portfolio goes bust. That might be the case. But if you've done your due diligence, if you've taken a value investing approach, you've selected good solid companies with great management, then the majority of your picks should survive the crisis and should eventually recover, right? But if you sell them all at a loss, you're just locking in that loss. If you can steer the course, keep calm and ride this wave through and keep the stocks for another five years, 10 years. So yeah, maybe it'll take longer, but you will surely see the returns you initially expected, right? That's why so many people lose money on stocks because they just don't hold them long enough because when something like a black swan happens, they panic and they sell them. So obviously being aware of this idea is very helpful. It doesn't necessarily help you predict them better. It just helps you when they happen to not lose your cool. Okay. 
Using your past to explain the future. I love a common example to stick with stocks is that when one guy is made stock analyst of the year, he's print, his face is printed on all magazine covers and the next year thousands of people put their money in his fund, they invest in him, right? And then the fund completely tanks. Because just because a stock analyst had a good year and he made a couple good picks does not mean he will make the same good picks next year. Because whatever system he used might have been complete luck, right? So it doesn't necessarily have to be that he's actually really good at picking stocks. So that's a classic example. That's also why planning is only so useful in your life. So whether you plan to start a company, a freelance business, a side project, you want to organize the neighborhood soccer mom's uh, fundraiser, whatever it is, Planning only gets you so far. You should have a plan, but you should always know that it needs to be adjusted and it will have to be. And be okay with that. And you would rather benefit from more flexibility rather than a more more strict, a more structured plan. Because again, whatever happened in the past is no indicator of how the future will go. Like some of those soccer moms might forget to bake their cakes Uh, some of the people you wanted to hire for your company might not sign your contracts. Some of the people who told you they would give you a project when you start your freelance business won't and so on and so on and so on, right? So the past is never a good explainer of the future. And lastly, I love those game mechanics, game theory and all that kind of stuff. Um, Really what it is, what when we do, when we treat situations like games, is we're simplifying so we can make a decision at all. So that's understandable from our side because the world is complex, picking insurance isn't easy. Um, but you can either oversimplify it and say, oh, I'll just pick the cheapest one or whatever and be done with the decision so you can move on and make the next one. Or you can throw in some model, right? Come up with a couple rules, probabilities, calculate something and then see once you have an example once you have a result if that matches your gut feeling i think that's a good way to double check right because again there's only so much you can do um you can't overanalyze everything either but if you get a result and you say in my gut that just feels wrong like that feels like i shouldn't do it i still wouldn't do it personally but that's just my approach Again, there's so much more to learn about this. Nassim Nicholas Taleb, check him out. Good guy. And I hope to see you on the next summary.